On this episode of The Cultured Podcast, we talk to South African artist Daniel Popper about his massive building-sized sculptures of intertwined wood and metal that call us into our hearts. Welcome to The Cultured Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Corey. And together, we'll journey into the unknown reaches of the art world. Hello, my babies! Happy whatever month and day and year it is when you listen to this episode. And that's how we keep it evergreen, folks. Welcome, welcome. I am super digging this conversation I had with Daniel Popper today, the one and only massive sculptural artist who also has a set and stage design company called Pop Productions. Very apropos, given his last name, Popper. But before we get into that conversation, I want to talk about my inspiration for the week, which is none other than my kitten, you guys. I got a new kitten. His name is Sylvester. His nickname is Silly. He's Silly Sylvester. Silvestre, for those who speak Spanish. And he has brought so much joy into my life. Like, I already have a cat. She's almost 12 years old. Got her when she was a baby, so we've been together for a very long time. Luna, my Lukachu, my boo-boo, my bunny. I love her so much. My pinchy, pinchy pesa. (laughs) If you have pets, then you know that you come up with the most ridiculous names for them. But Sylvester has really added so much to our lives because he is so effervescent and he has so much personality and he has brought a lot of joy to my days, which are filled with work. I mean, I'm working sun up to sundown and to have a built-in distraction that is just so furry and cute and full of love and curiosity has actually been very expansive for my days, which was not something I expected. And sure, I did not expect to adopt a kitten. But here we are, 2020, you wild bitch. (laughs) Anywho, Sylvester, I love you so much. Um, He's currently asleep, super duper cute with his white little whiskers. He's a tuxedo cat just like Luna, so they match. They have the same little white socks on their paws. Um, We'll add a picture of Sylvester, I guess, if you want me to, to the show notes. I mean, I guess, whatever, if I have to, we'll go ahead and do it (laughs) because we will. But anyway, I hope that you are finding some semblance of joy, some sparkles throughout your day to pull you out of whatever your daily routine is so that you can have a little bit of joy and curiosity of your own. You know what I mean? All right, here we go. Let's talk to Daniel. Hello, Daniel. Welcome to the Cultured Podcast. Thank you for having me. What I love about these COVID episodes (laughs) is that they get very intimate because we're all in our individual locations. So tell us about where you are right now, Daniel. I'm currently at home. I have my wife and two-year-old in the room next door. So you might hear my two-year-old. Hopefully she doesn't come in here. But yeah, I'm at home in my home in Cape Town. Oh my gosh. Well, it's great to be in Cape Town. I've never been. This is my first time. Welcome to Atlanta. That's where you are with me and my little kitten, my new kitten who might be meowing. (laughs) 
But anyway, let's get to it. Cool. Let's have a chat. Let's have a chat. So, you know, first and foremost, I, I mean, there's a lot to be said about your work. And I have been following you for a very long time on Instagram and just consistently not only in awe of your work, but also I connect to it in a very deeply like spiritual way. If we're going to be totally frank, it, it really connects to my heart center. So before we even dive into the very many things we have to talk about with your work, why don't we just level set? Who are you and what is your art form? Okay, my name is Daniel Popper. I'm from Cape Town, South Africa. I somehow stumbled into a career creating large-scale installation artworks for music festivals and more recently for public spaces. I like to create something that people can interact with somehow as opposed to just um, look at, whether that be climbing or going inside or walking through or being able to touch and feel. I mostly work with a figurative subject matter. I typically will start off with just something that excites me and uh, try and put my heart into it. And then what comes out is, is what comes out. And then we can talk about what it means afterwards. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. So yeah. what, first of all, describe the primary materials you work with. There's not one material that I love to work with. Um, I want to work with all of them. I haven't yet worked with all of them, but the ones that I mostly started out working with was wood, trying to see how I could use wood. And I love the texture and feeling of wood. And then, you know, reached limitations with it and started to understand limitations around it with regards to like longevity, outdoors, etc. And then moved to working with concrete and glass fiber. And I'm going to start work in bronze, stainless steel and those kinds of, of materials and substrates. Um, so pretty much everything. I mean, that's incredibly <laughs> yeah. different processes for each of those materials it's stunning mm. to me that you're just like, yeah, I guess like wood and bronze and such, you know, <laughs> granite and steel. And that's really impressive and also courageous, right? You have to have this spirit of experimentation and and exactly. not very much a fear of failure. Exactly. Exactly. I think I think that's the thing. It's like it, I can see how it could be quite daunting. You know, when I started working with wood, I was like, oh, I could do carpentry. And then I was like, if you get into carpentry and, you know, you start creating like tables and furniture and stuff like that, and that becomes all you do, you know, that's one thing. And it's kind of a bottleneck, but there are people that have gone into that and that's their sort of like their craft, you know, and they just absolute masters at what they do. And they understand the materials I've been working with them for so long. And you can just ask them. And then, you know, after doing that and trying to figure it out on my own, failing, asking questions, whatever, and then doing it. It does chip away at the fear. It seems so simple, doesn't it? But so many of us don't even, I don't think we we carry the confidence to even just approach someone and say, I don't know how to do this, but I want to do it. Will you share knowledge? And you're right. A sure. lot of people want to share that knowledge and, and their passion. Totally. If they don't want to share it, then there They're will assholes. be somebody no, who I'm just does. Kidding. And also... <laughs> yeah, if, exactly. If they, like, if it's somebody who you know and they don't want to share that information... They're not really somebody who you should know, you know, and you will find people that are just super generous with what they know. It's the greatest thing you can do, you know, is if you if you make a discovery is to be able to share that. I totally agree. Do you have a background in engineering of any kind? <laughs> nope, not at all. <laughs> Again, 
we started building these sculptures of a certain scale uh, that was achievable for me. And then when it started to get bigger and then they would like fall down and almost kill people, I then realized, shit, I need to get some engineering done. And there's guys out there that have been studying engineering for seven to 10 years, you know? So again, those people were people that I asked. I had friends that were super generous in the early days. They were able to give me some free advice. Now we have engineers that we work with. We just created a piece uh, that's going up in Miami and it has to pass the 180 mile an hour hurricane Dade codes of Miami, you know? Oh so, yeah, I'm from Miami. I know the hurricane life. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm primarily, you know, the designer of the piece. And then, you know, you start off with that's the idea. Then comes the hard part. Then it's like, how? <laughs> how are we going to do this? Tell us a little bit about how the ideas sprouted for what is now pop productions and soon to be this unbelievable massive solo exhibition in Chicago, this enormous sculpture in Miami. Tell us about the beginnings, the seeds of the ideas. Well, South Africa has a, had a, and still does, an outdoor festival industry, very, very underground, not commercial at all, you know, nothing like Coachella or anything like that. I think, you know, our biggest festival will probably be like 5,000 people. And, uh, you know, when I was growing up, early 20s, that's, uh, you know, what I was doing for fun. They were often spaces of inspiration for me. They were like, you know, I used to just get super inspired going to those places and knew that I wanted to be a part of that industry and um, started just coming up with concepts potentially for stages, small stages and stuff like that at those small festivals. And then this Burning Man uh, festival came to South Africa. It was totally different, totally different to any any other festival that we had. You could bring your art. That was it. And it was like this participation concept. And I just, I don't know, that was just such an inspiring idea to me. I've moved on from those kinds of festivals. It's because it's become my career. But I, I had the awareness in my early 20s that I had nothing to lose. And there was no social media. There was no name attached to the work. You know what I mean? So you could go anonymously, create your thing, experiment, see, watch people interact with it, and just get that feeling of like just pure joy of immersing yourself in the experience of making art for other people to enjoy. It's really been an evolution. Just having the awareness to risk it all. Is, is really awesome because I think that's what uh, holds so many people back from doing that kind of thing because there's so much on the line, you know, um, especially now, like doing something at Burning Man, or, you know, there's so many people there, so many high profile people there, Instagram everywhere, all over the place, you know, and you know, God forbid you create this terrible piece of art. Oh my God. You know what I mean? It's, it's a really big thing. People really are afraid to fail creating work. It's the most important thing to go through because you have to realize it's like, who cares? Who cares if you make, make a shit? You Who go through it, you, you survive it, you realize you're not going to die from failure. I made, I made so many shitty pieces of work, <laughs> I can't tell you. And I just did them like blindly, like going in, like, I'm going to get this thing right. And I had this vision and I'm like, yeah, because I was inspired. But like, oh, and you walk away afterwards, you're like, what did I just do? Oh my <laughs> gosh. You know, it's important to, you have to, you have to do it. You have to make rubbish and you have to not care. You maybe don't have to not care, but certainly detach from, like, don't put so much weight on you caring about it. It's one of the hardest things ever. I mean, it's, you know, to tell that to an artist, I mean, it's your, your heart and your soul goes into this work, you know? You're just offering yourself up to this thing, see what happens, get it out the way. It might fail, it might succeed, and uh, it's really not up to you. That's really powerful, Daniel, because also it, it sounds like you see yourself as a channel of a message outside of yourself. Is that, 
Is that how you see yourself as an artist? Um, I mean, it's pot- that's potentially a fantasy that I, you know, <laughs> could hold. I, I, don't, I wouldn't know. I have no idea if it's true or not. And it doesn't really matter. What matters is that the work is created and that people get inspired when they experience it. That's what matters to me. You know, there's messages about nature. There's messages about climate change. There's messages about the human soul, the human spirit. It's all in there. People read so deeply into it and it's a beautiful thing to see. But uh, I cannot take any sort of responsibility for or try and come out and say, yeah, I I'm channeling this thing that, 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 I, that I need people to experience. You create stunning, enormous, highly complex work that absolutely embodies so many different messages that, to me, are both grounded and ethereal. And so I don't buy it, not one bit, that you're not a channel. <laughs> and, and in fact, I mean, it's the kind of work that I feel like the most ideal state for ideating it or for coming up with it is also the most ideal state for experiencing it, which is tripping acid or some other kind of mind-expanding plant medicine, which I know that you partake in from time to time. And I have done LSD before, and it is so expansive and so special Mm -hmm. and riddled with such Mm -hmm. weird taboos like back in the puritanical U.S. in those days when we'd call marijuana like reefer madness, you know, is is what I think LSD experiences mm-hmm. now. But I guess the point that I'm getting to is you talked about creating work based on whatever excites you. So what excites you? I've gone through so many phases. I've calmed down a little bit now. You know, I'm a dad and and I, th- I think the experience of being a parent is the most uh, psychedelic experience that you can imagine. Um, doesn't even compare, you know. And But uh, before being a parent, if you want to have uh, a sort of comparable psychedelic experience, yeah, I mean, that was, I was super passionate about psychedelics and, and mind opening, mind expansion and stuff like that. And there's a lot of imagery attached to that stuff. And you become incredibly open to imagery and visions. And I was uh, also very passionate about the sort of visionary outsider art movement. What do you mean by visionary art? There's a bunch of artists around the world that create visionary art. I mean, it's, it falls outside of what would the world would consider to be like fine art, you know, like stuff that you see in like these fancy art galleries and sort of contemporary art work that taps into a deeper level, a deeper understanding of our experience on this planet, you know, and hugely inspired by the psychedelic experience. I know that you were planning on having your first solo exhibition this year in Chicago. Is that right? And obviously with COVID, there was a wrench thrown into that. But I think what we're all seeing is that if we sink into and flow with these, uh, what we might consider challenges or obstacles, we'll see that they're opportunities for expansion in different ways and for pivoting and flowing in ways we never thought we could. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds like as of right now, the exhibition is still planned for April of 2021. Correct. And how does that feel to have to sort of like pivot and change? Yeah, initially it was a bit frustrating. But to be honest, 
you know, we try to pull off five sculptures in a year. It was pretty intense. Like uh, we managed to get to do it. I mean, up to the point that I was ready to ship the works. Um, and there was a hell of a lot of work that was going to be left to on site and figuring out. So initially it was a bit frustrating. And then it was like, hang on, we actually have a little bit more time to get the pieces a little bit more refined and work on them a little bit more. And I'm really, really grateful for that, for that extra time, I must say. Mm. That's beautiful. So you're from South Africa, and I want to know what it felt like for you to be commissioned a few years ago by Siemens to create a memorial statue for Nelson Mandela. What was that like for you? Yeah, that was an absolute trip. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> it was such a fantastic opportunity. Um, one of uh, Mandela's dying wishes was for a school to be built in his uh, village where he was born, in the rural village of Mvezo in the Eastern Cape of South Africa. And um, the CEO of Siemens agreed to grant his dying wish. Siemens um, fit the bill and funded building an entire agricultural school. It's called the Siemens School of Science and Technology. And it's a, a school specifically focused towards agriculture and technology in this rural village. I mean, there's literally, there's like no electricity or running water, you know, and they have this amazing state-of-the-art school. And the marketing director of Siemens uh, reached out to me because they needed um, something to sort of beautify their a sort of public gathering space. And so we decided on this, uh, this tree of knowledge, the base of the tree, put these inspirational quotes from Nelson Mandela. And it was, it was really cool because it was also, no, it was at a school. So it was kind of like knowing myself as a kid and, you know, all you really care about sometimes as a kid is like, what's for lunch? And like, when you get to go play sport, you know, <laughs> um, but there might be some kids that would be having their lunch break, sitting at the sculpture and would potentially be inspired by it. And that was a really cool feeling. It was also pretty wild because he died, you know, almost at the time that we were busy doing it. So when we were there putting it up was the funeral. Oh my god. And we god. could see the we could see we could see the funeral from where we were working from our build site. We saw the planes flying over and you know just all just just the world ascended into this village where we were. Like we were it's so remote, it's literally in the middle of nowhere and while we were there it was mad, like all the roads closed and like everyone from Oprah to like Barack Obama like arrived, you know, for this Oh my funeral. God. So such a trip. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a pretty surreal experience. I mean, it was so long ago as well um, for me. I think it was 2014. Yeah. yeah. So. Did that in any way change the way that you saw yourself as an artist or creator? I mean, it did in a sense that it was my first public work, like and permanent work because I was creating more temporary stuff and I was creating stuff that was, again, like I said, music festival-based stage design and working in the psychedelic space and whatever. And now all of a sudden I was in this corporate space creating something that was somewhat of a, a monument um, and a memorial and you know, a public landscape beautification piece. And it was a success, uh, you know? And I was like, wow, I was actually pretty good at that. That was really cool. Right, in ways that set you on your current path, which is kind of bonkers to me, Daniel, that like the thing that set you on your path to where you are now was a friggin' memorial to Nelson Mandela. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. So what's interesting about our conversation earlier about this detachment from identity, which was at the beginning of your path as an artist, in other words, displaying work and not having your name attached to it, is now you've created such a signature at least in my mind, that I could see a Daniel Popper piece probably from miles away, <laughs> literally, and know 
it's a Daniel Popper piece. Like there, you know, I wonder if there's been a change in your psyche because now I don't think there's a mistaking a Daniel Popper piece. So even if you tried to hide in the crowd. <laughs> I mean, yes and no. I still feel like I don't really have any particular style of working. And I look at some artists that are just so um, defined by their style, you know, like look at artists like Cause and these guys, like you can just see like, oh yeah, that's one of their characters, you know? And I just feel like I've, I've just never been that guy and I never wanted to be tied down to a certain style or way of working. But uh, you can't fight that. It's just going to happen. It's going to happen whether you like it or not, you know. I'm pleased to hear you say that you can recognize a certain common thread throughout my work. But I mean, if you look at the piece that I created for Scorpios Beach Club last year in Mykonos, it was my first time working with Wickercane. And we created such an abstract piece based on Cycladic Greek sculpture, based on the mythology of Leto and Zeus. You know, when I, was, when I finished, I was like, wow, that was so different, you know, so different to anything I've created in the past. And uh, it was a different material, different style, different thing. Yet, I guess there is a commonality and the people really enjoyed that piece. So I don't know. It's cool to hear you say that. I think there is a signature, but I would agree, like you're incredibly versatile. And I've seen a lot of your pieces, I, I think, particularly when when you're asked to commission, it seems you're able to really flex your full versatility for whatever, you know, you have to fit into. Now, speaking of mythology and, of course, like thinking about the expansion of the human psyche and the much deeper layers of human existence and all that, do you spend a lot of your time doing research to help inspire your creations? I do. Look, not all the time, but I think for that particular piece, I researched the area, the island of Delos, and, um, you know, we have a few sculptures coming up in particular remote places and the briefs are so wide open, you know, you just want to tie them into the history of where they're going, you know, and be sensitive to that as well. So I do do a lot of research on the spaces and places and cultures um, where I'm going to be putting work. And then occasionally also just sometimes I'll just be drawing something and I'll be like, wow, that's cool. Let's go with that. To close this out, I really want to know what you're toying with for the future. Like, what are some of the the little sparks igniting for you right now for the future? Um, well, like I said, I think at the beginning of our conversation, it's just continuing to explore new materials, wanting to work more in more permanent materials, working with bronze, stainless steel, also exploring different scales. I mean, I've become known as somebody who creates large scale work and I'm like, well, does it have to be so big all the time? You know, what about creating smaller works? I get a lot of requests from people to create, to want to buy smaller stuff for like their homes and whatever. So I'm going to be exploring that. We have plans to publish a book in a couple of years. I'm just so continuously driven to just want to keep pushing my own boundaries and just, you know, I just still feel like I have such a long way to go. You know, when I look at, at the heroes and, and the giants of this industry and what they do, they just so I'm just like, oh man, I'm I'm nowhere, nowhere near the you know, these guys. And there's a lot of work to do to to get better at what I do. Well, that is bananas to think about. And I think it's also a balancing act between striving for betterment, but also recognizing the exceptional work that you do. And <laughs> thank you. Before we fully sign off, where can we go to fully take in your work, see it, experience it online and in person? Um, well, my website, danielpapa.com and then Instagram, Daniel Papa. I'm really terrible with my Instagram, but I try and post like at least twice a month. My work's up 
permanently in, in Tulum, Mexico at Ahal. There's the very famous piece of uh, Ven a la Luz of the woman opening up her chest. Um, that's always if you're keen on a holiday in Mexico. Um, and then I will be putting up soon, as soon as the travel ban lifts and we're able to travel again to the United States, we're going to be putting up a piece in Fort Lauderdale at Society Los Alas Residential Real Estate Building. And then uh, next year, April, there'll be uh, the exhibition up, opening up at the Morton Arboretum of the five works, and that's going to be up for three years. And so that'll be a great space for people to go and um, experience the works. And yeah, and some exciting festivals next year lined up, Electric Daisy Carnival again, Electric Forest again, and Boom Festival, Modem Festival. Yeah, so if you're in Europe, Modem Croatia and... Uh, boom in Portugal. I just wish you would actually put some effort into your work, Daniel. Like, can you stop being so lazy? <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. And all, all of this while being a husband and a father to a two-year-old. So cool. Cool. You have a lot of free time. <laughs> yeah. Thank you again so much for opening your heart to us. I really appreciate you. Thanks so much, Michelle. You know what? For someone who hates interviews, that sure was an amazing interview. Daniel Proper, that was amazing. And truly, you got to see his work. So go to all those digital spaces where you can see his stuff because it's jaw-dropping. And until next time, you know what to do. Keep it classy. Keep it curious. Keep it cultured. Visit culturedpodcast.com for show notes and subscription links. The Cultured Podcast is a production of my podcast production company, Frequency Media. I'm the host, Michelle Corey. Ina Garkusha is our fabulous producer. Becca Godwin is our wonderful associate producer. And we're recording in Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia.